Okay, so uh, we are going to sprint through a lot of this. You guys can have some discussion at the end. So we're doing a series uh, on Hosea, but here's the the catch, is that um, for the next six weeks, we're not going to actually be in Hosea because we're doing a series within a series. I don't mean to trip with your mind. A dream within a dream. And so we are in the second part of that series within a series. And, but a quick setup, if you're new today, if you're new and don't even know what Hosea is about, quick summary, um, Hosea is a prophet, and a prophet was a truth teller to the nation of Israel. He was commissioned by God to speak truth to Israel, and Israel at this point had turned their back on God and turned towards idolatry. And so Hosea's mission and role was to expose their idolatry in hopes that they would come to repentance. And the way that God had Hosea do that was very unique. He told Hosea, he said, I want you to marry a woman who is going to cheat on you repeatedly. Which I'm sure he thought, okay, great. Uh, show me where to sign up. So, um, so he, he marries this woman. Her, what was her name? You recall her name? Gomer. And so he marries Gomer, and she cheats on him endlessly. But the whole point of this is God, listen, the whole point of this is God is trying to use Hosea's life as an example to the Israelites. So whenever the Israelites say to Hosea, when they say things like, you know, why are you still with her? I mean, she keeps cheating on you over and over again. He can just say, you mean kind of like the way y'all cheat on God? You mean kind of like that? And so... It was to, meant to be a mirror to the nation of Israel as to how they were treating God and, and cheating on him spiritually. So a crazy story, um, to say the least. And so we decided to do a little mini-series on idolatry in the middle of this Hosea series. That's where we find ourselves today. So quick review. At the beginning of um, the series, we talked about sin. We said all sin is idolatry, meaning every sin is an example of us replacing the creator with the creation. Every sin is a form of idolatry. Second thing we said was that all sin is adultery, spiritual adultery, turning our back on God and turning towards idols and, in a sense, cheating on God. So we said that at the beginning of the, of the series. Now, um, we, we kind of kicked things off last week talking about idolatry in our culture, and I want to focus in on one idol that I see in us, especially all of us, and it's the idol of love, right? Now, um, if you've uh, been around for a while, which many of you have, um, all I have to do to prove this to you is just go look at Facebook. That's all I have to do. There's not much research required. It's just go look at your Facebook, go look at your friend's Facebook, and just look at their postings about how much they are in love with love, right? Now, maybe not so much for the guys just yet, uh, the girls will say things like this on Facebook. The guys, they just don't say anything about it, but the longing is still there. The desire is still there. They're just too cool for school. They don't want to uh, show their cards just yet. So the idol of love we're talking about today, and here's the deal. We're going to spend two weeks on this. I'm going to actually have a follow-up next week, and uh, today's kind of the, um, the first part of that. So here's what I know. I know that many of you are terrified of being single. I know this as a fact. You're, you're terrified of being single. Like, when am I going to find that person? Um, I'm 15. I haven't found her yet. What is wrong with you? <laughs> um, many people wait much. Okay, Isaac, Isaac, 40 years old. 
when he married his wife, when he found Isaac in the Bible. Yeah, back when they used to get married at like 15. Well, he waited until he was 40, so you may have a while. Um, but many of you are terrified of being single. Listen, but let me tell you something. Listen, I know as you are terrified of being single, there is one thing that is way worse than being single, and it's this. It's being in a bad marriage. It's being in a bad marriage. And I, as much as you might want to think to yourself, you know, single would be the worst thing in the world. If I reach a certain age and I'm still single, then I'm just going to start like, okay, you're breathing. Let's go on a date, right? And, and so that's, your standards will start to drop because you're going to think single is like the worst thing in the world. Well, there's something worse than that, and it's being in a bad marriage, right? I have seen, so, I've seen countless people like settle in a sense, spiritually settle for someone who's not the kind of person God would have them to marry. And what are they in? They're in a bad marriage. Now you're trapped. Divorce is sinful. You've got to stick this thing out. Now they might leave you, but here's the deal. Divorce is sinful as well. So you're stuck, right? So if you idolize relationship and make that the ultimate thing for meaning and fulfillment in your life, you're going to make some horrible decisions as a result of that. In fact, um, when I was in, uh, in college, I mentioned this before, but when I was in college, I lived in a house with about 10 other guys, which I don't recommend for anyone. And, uh, and in that house, though, listen, in that house, I can reflect back on that and think that those were some of the most um, fun years of life because you had a lot of fun with limited amount of responsibility, right? You're not quite an adult yet, but you're also not a kid anymore. You're kind of on your own, but you're also kind of not on your own. And so there were nights where I would go to bed from laughing so hard that my sides, both sides just ache, right? Just laughing at, I mean, us just being stupid, being crazy, being ridiculous. And, um, but as I'd get into my room and start to settle in, I turn the light off and I lay in bed and I got to know that ceiling really well because I would lay in bed at night and just think about stuff. And when I couldn't sleep, my brain would often go to, okay, God, you know, I'm, I'm 23. You know, where is she? Why haven't you brought her to me yet? Where is she, God? And, and in the stillness of, that, of one of those nights, it, was, it wasn't like God spoke audibly to me, but I just had this impression upon um, in my mind and my heart, like God was just saying, like my, my thought was, okay, God, I'm ready. Where is she? I'm ready. Where is she at? And I felt like God was saying to me, okay, Dave, let's just break this down. If you were ready, wouldn't she be there? I mean, if, if you were ready, wouldn't you have her now? To which I had to say, oh, yeah, that, right? And so it was God's way of impressing upon me, no, you're not ready because she's not there. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. If, if you were ready, then I would have her there with you at this point, right? So I've got to keep working on you and keep refining you before that happens. And so, so here's what I want you to, to know. I, I know the way this plays out in high school in a number of ways, but I know that many of you, many of you come from broken homes, and you've seen a lot of stuff, and you've seen divorce, you've seen things firsthand that make you just go, I'm not even sure I want to get married one day. And I understand that. But some of you guys you actually attempt to fix, like if you've, if you've been raised in a broken home, a bad environment, you try to fix 
you're the person that's more susceptible to a unhealthy relationship because you're trying to fix what's broken by getting into a relationship prematurely. Your life didn't feel right. Your life's not going the way you want it to. And so you just jump in because you, you think this person's going to fix what's broken. I'm going to have a feeling of family with this person because I don't feel that at home. And, and so you have a chance, you have a temptation to get in to things way too soon because um, of this expectation you have for someone else to essentially be your savior. And here's the deal, guys. Only Jesus can be your savior. Only Christ can be your savior. There is no one on the face of the earth. Look at me, ladies, especially. There is no one on the planet who can meet all your needs. They just can't. I mean, just think about that expectation. I mean, you think in your mind, I'm going to find someone on this earth that can meet all my needs. Now, let's just turn that around. What if someone came to you and said, I think you're going to meet all my needs? You hear that? You would run. You'd be like, uh, too much pressure, right? And, and so no one can bear the weight of that. Only Jesus can be your Savior. You can't, you can't see, look to someone else to, to be your Savior for you. No one can bear that weight. And today we're going to look at a passage where we see the idol of love in play, and it's the passage, Genesis chapter 29. Turn there. Genesis 29. We're going to start in verse... 16, and I am taking much of this from a book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller, so I want to make sure I give him credit for his work and not plagiarize anything. Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to start in verse uh, 16, but before we start in verse 16, a little bit of background. Uh, this is a story of Jacob, Jacob, and eventually uh, Rachel and Leah. You might be familiar with the story. Um, okay, who was Jacob's dad? Quick review. Jacob's dad, Isaac. All right, who was uh, Jacob's brother? Esau. So you guys know the story. Basically, Jacob was the younger, Esau was older. They're twins, and um, and so uh, it's prophesied that the older will serve the younger with these two. And so sure enough, Jacob steals the blessing, the birthright from the father. He tricks him into giving it to him. So the father, Isaac, blesses Jacob, and then Esau's mad about it. So they, they conspire, and so um, the mom and, uh, and, and Jacob conspire to get Jacob out of there because he's about to be killed. So the plan is, hey, go live with your uncle Laban because you can work there. Your brother's going to kill you if you stay here. So that's the backstory. So he's banished to go live with his uncle Laban. Now Laban has two daughters. He has Leah and he has Rachel. And yes, they are his first cousins. Get that out of the way. I'm not going to get into this, but different sermon, different day. Uh, So here's the deal. Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob falls head over heels in love with Rachel. And uh, in fact, first time he saw her. Go to my next slide. Actually, the one that says 2911. First time he sees her, this is his reaction. Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. I mean, just a little bit much. First time he meets this girl, kisses her, starts weeping. I mean, 
when I met my wife for the first time, I thought she was pretty, but I didn't kiss her and start crying. That's just, that's kind of a bit much. So that's his first reaction to her, which ladies, if it happens to you, run from this guy. So go up to verse 16, and we'll pick up with the story here. It says, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So the stage is set. We're not quite sure what it means when it says weak eyes, but it might mean she had a lazy eye. That's a possibility. I'm not joking. That's actually what the commentator said. So um, don't make fun. I had that when I was a kid, so don't make fun. Um, so that's a possibility here. Um, so there's definitely some sibling rivalry here already. The stage is set for that. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, Jacob was in love with Rachel. I like this verse because it shows us that the people in the Bible are actually human. Don't most of you think of the people in the Bible as like not being real and not having real emotions, real feelings? So we see here that these are real people with real issues just like us. And it says here, Jacob was in love with Rachel. He was smitten, right? And he says, it's, he says this to the, uh, hey, guys, can we stop throwing stuff across the table here? How old are we again? Seriously? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so look at, verse, uh, look at verse 18. It says, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, before you get into the, the, the specifics of this, and you're wondering, why is he buying this guy's daughter? That's just kind of how it was done back then. Again, different sermon, different day. I'm not going to get into it. But So Jacob goes to work for his uncle, Laban. And Laban says, okay, what should I pay you for your work? And Jacob says, uh, your daughter? Give me your daughter for my work. And then get this. Notice that Jacob sets the price. So it's not like Laban said, okay, she's worth seven years of your work. Jacob's the one who said, she's worth seven years of my work. Now, here's the amazing thing. This was a huge price to pay back then. In fact, I try to compare it um, to today. Uh, there's some people that would say, if you buy, for a guy, if you buy a, a woman an engagement ring, that you're supposed to spend a certain number of months of salary on that ring. Uh, I Googled this morning, and the going rate I read was like two months worth of salary, right? So if a guy's out of college, he's making 30 grand a year, um, that's like what? How much per month? You do the math. So let's say he spends five grand, right, on a ring. That sounds like a lot of money. That's still only two months worth of salary, all right? So, so he's saying she's worth seven years worth of salary, and I'm going to work for her, and at the end of seven years, I want you to give her to me as my wife. I mean, seven years is a long time. Seven years ago, some of you guys were seven. You were seven seven years ago, some of you. That's half your life. That's a long time, long time. Now, look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. It says, Laban said, listen, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. That's not really a big vote of confidence, is it, for, for Jacob? 
Uh, yeah, for Jacob. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'll do. You're better than some of those other losers out there. Stay here with me, he says, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Oh, it's so sweet. <clears throat> so, so listen, so we see here, listen, so we, we see here that, that Laban is very protective of his daughter. He says, it's better that I give her to you than some other loser out there. So I can relate to this, a protective dad. Of, by the way, my, today's, my, today's my daughter's second birthday, by the way. And uh, so she's growing up quick. And, and so as she gets older, I mean, I've already got my, my plan in place. I mean, I'm a protective father. I've already got the shotgun purchased. I've got a front porch to sit on. And, uh, and I got a chair to wait in. So I am ready to go for whatever dude tries to get with my girl in a few years. So um, I can relate to this. But J- here's the funny thing about this. Listen, listen. Jacob thinks he's got the better end of the deal. Look at this. It says, it seems like only a few days. Now, now, isn't it true that when you want something to happen really fast, it seems to take longer, does it not? But here we see the opposite. We see he's so, in love, so lost in love with her that he loses track of the days. He loses track of the months, the years, because he's so just wrapped up in, in this girl. So much so that he thinks he gets the better end of the deal. I mean, he's probably going to work every day, like coming home smoking like a victory cigar at the end of the day. Like, I totally got this. This is, this is like, I've totally done him in, right? Meanwhile, Laban's thinking that he's the one that's got the better end of the deal because he's getting seven years of labor for this guy just to give him his daughter. And so, so look at verse 21. Here's where it gets kind of weird, and it's a PG-13 passage. I apologize, but here we go. It says, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. All right? I mean, he's getting to the point. He, he says that and uh, just comes out and says it. And here's what I want to say to you. I mean, can you imagine a father hearing those words today from some dude? I mean, if some guy said that, I would, like, literally kill the guy before he finished the sentence if this happened to me. So, so he, says, he says this phrase, but here's what it shows. Listen, listen. Here's what this shows us. See, I knew that was going to happen. It was prophetic. So, so here's what, listen. Here's what this shows us. I'll time the next one just as good if you're, you know. Here's what it shows us. Jacob is totally overwhelmed by her. He is he has idolized this woman. He is completely overwhelmed with her. Now, I know most of us would say, but isn't this a good thing? This is a, well, yeah, okay, God created you for that, but at the same time, there's another side to the coin, and it's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. Jacob has turned her into an idol. In fact, um, if you look back at his life, his life was empty at this point. He lost his family. He must have said to himself, if, if only I had her, everything would be fixed. This explains why he kissed her and then started crying, right? I mean, he was desperate. He was like, I need my life to have meaning and fulfillment. This explains why what he did when he first 
met her. And so many of us come at love with this idea in mind that if I only had this person, everything would be fixed. My life would be fixed. For many people, love is their religion. In fact, for some people, Jesus is just a pathway to a boyfriend or girlfriend. That's true for some people. Jesus Christ is used just to get to a boyfriend or girlfriend. And if that's you, then Jesus is not your God. Love is your real God. You're just using Jesus to get to your real God. That's what many of us do. Many of us do. Secondly, if you're looking to fix, if you're, if you're looking for love to fix what's broken in your life, again, what kind of pressure does that put on the person that you're with? Even if it is a marriage partner one day, what kind of pressure does that put on somebody if you're coming to them saying, um, putting that kind of pressure on them? What if you first, when you first met someone, you said, hi, I have lots of issues, lots of baggage. I, hope, I was hoping you could fix that. I mean, they're going to run. No one can bear the weight of that. No one can. Look at verse uh, 22. Verse 22. It says, so, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. So he gives her the other daughter. I guess somehow disguised her. Everyone's been drinking Kool-Aid or something. And, and so he gives his other daughter to, to, uh, to Jacob. Now, we don't know how he pulled this off. Listen, we're not sure how he pulled this off, but he did. He tricked Jacob in the same way, mind you, that Jacob tricked his own father. It's coming back to haunt him now. Look at verse 25. It says, when morning came, there was Leah. Wow. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Poor Leah. Poor Leah. I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before. Well, that would have been helpful to know yesterday, right? Seven years ago. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. So he basically is like, hey, Jacob, you're on the honeymoon, man. Just finish the honeymoon. We'll talk about this afterwards. Like, what in the world? So this is a crazy Jerry Springer type story, I know. But the part that I want you to focus in on is this, is that for, for Jacob, Rachel had become an idol. She really had. She'd become an idol. And I want to look at two ways that love becomes an idol, especially at your age. The first one is this. There's two ways. Go to the next slide. There's two ways, and we're all wondering what those two ways are. Here we go. Uh, the first one is total obsession. This is a person who they're always searching, always looking, always worshiping at the feet of the people they're trying to rein in. This is a person who's just totally obsessed can't ever think about being alone, can't stand the thought of it, and for this person, it's become an idol. So there's total obsession. The second way might surprise you, and it's this, it's total apathy. 
This is the I don't care attitude. This is the one who says, I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody. I don't care. You guys can go to your stupid prom. I don't care about that. This is the person. Here's what they do. Listen, carefully. Listen. This person sort of has this external attitude towards relationship, but here's why they do it. Because inwardly, there is a great fear that they're never going to find someone, and so they just kill that part of themselves. So they never have to risk loss. This is the I don't care attitude. But here, it's, it's all a show. We know it's a show, and this is a person who, even though it looks like they don't care, deep down they really do care because they really care about trying not to care, right? And so that is their idolatry. That is their idolatry because they are trying to protect themselves from being hurt, and in a similar way, that's also an idol. That's also an idol. And so listen, both of these are idolatry. On the one hand, God created us for relationship, and that's good, but don't make it God. It's a good gift from God, but it's not God. So, so both people here have to understand that this has become an idol for you. And while relationships are God created them, he has purpose for them. But don't turn it into a God and, and don't look for it to fulfill you completely and totally in, this, in the way that God intends for you to be fulfilled by him. It's not God. Now, here's how I think this plays out differently with guys and girls. For a lot of guys, I think their idolatry is to avoid commitment, play the field, be independent, don't let her get to you, be a player. This is the kind of idolatry for men because they want to they wanna pretend like, you know, I don't, I don't need anybody. Yeah, if she, I might let her into my life, but only, you know, to a certain extent. And so this is the idolatry of men. Now, for the ladies, it might look a little bit differently. Um, now, girls might be seen as, as the ones that are more obsessed, so to speak, than guys might be. But, um, but here's what's happening these days. Girls know that that looks weak, and that looks like weakness to them. So what's happening is girls are now, in our culture, adopting the strategies of the men. And they're just trading one idolatry for another. That's all they're doing. It, it's, not, it's not better. It's just simply one sin for another. And both are completely wrong and idolatrous. And so what I want to do to finish up is uh, I want to raise a question. So how, how do you know? How do you know if for you love has become an idol for you? There's a quote that I want you to see by Tim Keller. He says, our fears and inner barrenness make love a narcotic, like a drug a way to medicate ourselves, and addicts always make foolish, destructive choices. So the first question that I want to get to um, in how do you know if love has become an idol for you is this. Simply, are you making foolish choices? Are you making foolish choices in who you are with? And even now, I mean, I don't think any of you should even be in a relationship now to begin with at this stage. What's the point, right? The point of dating is to find a marriage partner. You're not there yet, so what's the point of dating right now? So are you making foolish choices in the, these areas of your life? The second question I want to ask you is this. Are you ignoring the advice of older, wiser people? Are people trying to come alongside you that are older or wiser, and they're trying to speak truth into your life, 
and you're just tuning them out, ignoring them in this area of your life. The third question is this. Does life as a single person seem unbearable to you? When you try to picture your life, if, if you picture a certain age, if I'm single past that age, I'm going to feel like a loser, or I'm going to feel like it's just unbearable to me. I can't imagine not being with someone at this stage of my life. In fact, you know what? I'm not saying this is always how God works, but I will tell you that um, I was 23 years old, and I finally came to the place where I was like, okay, God, I don't know where she is. I don't know how I'm going to find her, um, but I'm releasing this to you, and I don't know what your plan is. If it's to be single, then so be it, and I'll do whatever you ask. I'll, I'll do whatever, and it was like within a few months, I meet Courtney. I'm not saying that it was like, oh, because I did this, God did this. I'm not saying that. But I did find it interesting that that was the sequence of events. So is being single, does it seem unbearable to you? Fourthly, do you move from relationship to relationship? Are you constantly just going from person to person to person? If that's you, good chances that love has become an idol for you. Next question, are you involved in any inappropriate online behavior? We'll just include all media with this, not just online stuff, but, you know, just anything inappropriate that's, that's feeding your lustful desires that is um, pornographic in nature or even close to that definition, you're, you're getting close to the line, whatever those things are, you're feeding those lustful desires. That is when love and lust and sexuality has become your idol. And this is true for guys and for girls. It's true for both genders. Next question, are you getting involved physically with someone in any way, shape, or form? I'm talking about, listen, it's one thing to be, like, affectionate with someone, like put an arm around the person, give them a hug, hold a hand. I understand that. But anything beyond that, if you're getting anything beyond that, I'm telling you, you're idolizing now. You are, you are saying, okay, how can I keep this person? How can I keep them close to me? You're making compromises now because you, want, you don't want to lose them. You don't want to lose them. The next question, are you angry at God because he has not given you someone? Do you have a clenched fist at God? God, all my friends have this in their life. Why don't I have this in my life? God, you owe this to me. My family's jacked up. Everything's bad. Why can't I have this one thing? Are you clenching your fist at God because he's not coming through and delivering for you in this area? And then the last question, are you compromising biblical truth to justify your relationship? Are you a Christian who's dating a non-Christian that's being unequally yoked and you're compromising biblical truth to justify your relationship? Are you involved sexually with someone? You're compromising biblical truth to justify your relationship. There are many ways that we do this, many ways that we do this. So has this become an idol for you? I want to go ahead and close out with you guys having some discussion at your tables. You should have the seats uh, for discussion at your tables already. If not, throw up here to my right, your left. Discuss.